530. Uh, I'd like to call this meeting of the Plan Commission to order. <clears throat> we have a quorum. <clears throat> Is anyone registered for public comment? No. Uh, communications, uh, disclosures, and recusals. Ms. Berger. I'll be recusing on item 15. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, minutes of the January 9th, 2017 meeting. Uh, <clears throat> a move by Mr. Cantrell, seconded by Mr. Rui. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. Opposed, no. Passes. Uh, schedule of meetings. Uh, note that we uh, have meetings on the same day in February, same days in February and in March, the 6th and the 20th. Should be easier to remember. Uh, uh, yes, this would be a good time to mention the special meeting that you were all polled about. Uh, we have as good a consensus as possible and the date is the dawn? We had one date where we looked like we could get quorum and it's February 23rd, uh, Thursday the 23rd. We'll have just five, so that's a, a bare quorum. If any of you that indicated you were not able to attend can attend, that's fantastic. We'll, we'll have that meeting from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, um, location forthcoming. Okay, um, Mr. Rui? I will not be here on March 26th, or March 20th, I mean, I will not be here. Okay. Oops. March 6th. Okay. Um, okay, that brings us to special Item of business, Legistar 44190, a planning division staff update on the comprehensive plan. Imagine Madison. Uh, we have two staff people who are going to speak. The first one is Colin Punt. Ms. Punt, come on up. Uh, thank you. I'm Colin Punt with the Planning Division, uh, working on Imagine Madison, the Comprehensive Plan Update. Um, it's been a while since we have been over here for, for an update uh, to you. Um, I think it was late November, uh, the last time we spoke. So I'm just going to go over a few um, quick things just for a few minutes about our, our activities since then. Um, and then I'm going to turn it over to Ben Zellers, who's going to lead you through this um, areas of potential change uh, mapping exercise. Um, so first of all, uh, in early December, we had our phase one public meetings. Uh, we had two meetings, one at the Central Library. Uh, there were about 100 attendees there. Um, we uh, also had a meeting at the Village on Park Street. There were about 65 attendees. Uh, we used our, our um, eye clickers that we purchased for this, uh, this process. Uh, for real-time polling. Um, they were very well received. We had a lot of good comments about those. Um, we have also used a number of, uh, of online surveys, our Imagining Madison survey that we kind of kicked off the, um, the polling with. Uh, had about 130 responses. Um, that survey came down in early December. It was replaced with our Issues and Goals survey uh, on our website, which is there right now. Um, 
That will be live until about mid-February. Uh, that's kind of a recreation of everything that happened at the December public meetings. Um, so far, we've had about 120 responses to, to that, uh, that survey. Um, we're also working on getting our resident panels uh, up and running. Uh, we had about 40 responses um, from different organizations throughout the community. That was uh, an overwhelming response for us, much higher than we thought we were going to get. Um, we have uh, contacted uh, 12 groups to, to take the next steps forward in, in forming those panels. Um, we have about uh, 700 addresses on our uh, email update list. Um, sign up for that is available on the website. We just put out our third um, project update on Friday. I'm sure many of you received that. Um, we're doing a lot of things on social media. Uh, we have nearly 100 Twitter followers, over 220 Facebook likes. Um, our website, ImagineMadisonWI.com, is getting a lot of traffic. Um, it was visited 526 times last week. That's about 75 times a day on average. We've had over 2,300 unique visitors to the site so far. Um, so we're very pleased with, with the outreach that we've been getting that way. Um, since October, when we've started having um, some meetings with the public, we've uh, actually been to 33 different meetings uh, with about 900 uh, different people about Imagine Madison. Um, so we really have been getting out into the community. Um, we've been doing some planning pop-ins. Um, we were just at the Cherokee Park Neighborhood uh, Association annual meeting uh, last Saturday. Um, this coming Saturday, we'll be at the Sustainable Saturday Potluck and Forum. Um, we've been doing the rounds uh, through several boards, committees, and commissions. Um, Kirsty just came from the Sustainable Madison uh, Committee just a couple of minutes ago. Um, we've also been doing uh, Imagine Madison giveaways for people that sign up for email updates, have been doing our surveys, um, and have been attending our meetings. Um, we, have, uh, uh, we have just posted um, so our Imagine Madison mini documentary, our first episode in a series of uh, interviews that we've done with, with various um, residents of Madison asking about their hopes for the future, specific things they want to see happen in Madison. Uh, we have two more episodes that will uh, kind of coincide with the future phases of the project. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, we have our issues and goals survey out, um, and we've also been, been serving or discussing those, those issues and draft goals with people at the public meetings. Um, we tallied about 250 responses um, to, the, to that, uh, to those issues and goals um, through last Friday. Um, we've received about 750 total comments on the, the 13 draft goals. Um, all of the goals so far have been, been rated by the community as, as very important. Um, with the exception of maybe the, the one land use goal um, regarding downtown as the regional center. Um, uh, that, that has been kind of an outlier. Uh, we've also, um, also been asking how we're doing as a community with those goals. Um, uh, our, our goal to, to offer uh, parks and open space system that preserves natural areas and, and offers many recreational opportunities. Um, has been the, the one that people think we're doing the best at. Um, but uh, uh, many people that we've, we've surveyed have not felt as optimistic as our 
about our progress towards our economic development or our, or our housing goals right now. Um, sustainability and equity, um, which you may uh, remember are two of our um, major themes uh, in the goal, uh, have been have uh, really been, been commented on many times. A lot of people are very pleased with our focus on those lenses. Um, as far as uh, additional goals that people have, have recommended to us to, to take into account, um, education has been really been the one that we've heard the most times. Um, a few other ones are, are public safety, civic engagement, and uh, city service delivery. Um, in meeting with all these people, um, we've, we've done a few demographics uh, studies to make sure that we're, we're kind of reaching as many people as uh, as good a cross-section of, of Madison as possible. Um, we've had a lot of great participation um, uh, across age groups, really good uh, participation in, in people aged 25 to, to 40 and 55 to 70. Um, had, have had poor participation uh, for young adults between 18 and 25, um, so that may be one area that we're going try to try to hit harder. Um, African American and Hispanic representation in participation has been slightly lagging the, the citywide demographics, um, but has been very close. Um, and we think that when as as we get into the resident panels, that will uh, that will improve. Um, so. Uh, very soon, uh, Ben will lead you through um, the discussion about the areas of change map. Um, we, uh, this, this process will um, eventually lead to um, some of the study of the, the future land use map. Uh, we'll be soliciting potential changes to, this, to the future land use map in February and March, um, hopefully publishing a, a draft of the, the next future land use map um, around April 25, which will coincide with our phase two public meetings. Um, uh, as, as Heather was mentioning, uh, we're hoping to have um, a work session with you to, to go over um, all of the phase one results, uh, hopefully on, on February 23. Um, and then lastly, uh, we do have two uh, dates for our public meetings for phase two set um, for tentatively for late April and early May. Uh, we do plan on adding a third date um, due to uh, really good participation in the, in the phase one meetings. Uh, we've, we think we could definitely uh, fill up a third uh, meeting as well. So that's kind of the review of everything that we've been doing in, in the past two months. We've been very busy. Um, but now I will uh, turn it over to Ben Zellers who will lead you through this uh, areas of potential change mapping exercise. Thanks, Alan. Hang on a second, Mr. Rui. Uh, you talked a little bit about demographics. One I'm interested in is economically disadvantaged de de demographics. How are you doing with that one? Um, we're not not really doing uh, any tracking of um, socioeconomic status on those. Uh, we're we're mainly tracking um, age, race, race, and ethnicity. Oh. And, uh, I'd suggest if you take a look at that, I think you're, it's an area that you're probably going to be missing badly. Okay. So, thank you. Oh. I think, um, and, and Colin mentioned the, the resident panels. I guess it's really important to mention that that's one of the main reasons we're doing the entire um, focus on these resident panels. We'll have um, at least 
two groups, if not several, that really do focus on low-income residents in Madison, and more of a focus group style series of meetings. Um, we'll still we'll still work to, of course, get more representation in the larger community meetings and, and online participation as well. But just wanted to to reiterate that. Now, Mr. Sellers, go ahead. Okay, so here tonight to uh, introduce some new mapping that staff has been working on related to the comprehensive plan, um, specifically areas of potential change mapping. Um, some materials were in your packet, but just to summarize, the mapping that we're doing here uh, shows areas of Madison that within the comprehensive planning window, which is through about 2040, uh, may change land use, uh, density, or intensity. Um, should emphasize that the mapping is not necessarily a prediction or recommendation that all of the areas shown as areas of potential change will be different by 2040, um, but rather that they're more likely to change due to demographic shifts and economic factors. Um, many of the parcels within the change boundaries won't necessarily you know, be changing, and then there will be some parcels um, outside of the change boundaries that may face some changes, but um, overall, we feel that delineating areas of potential change will, will help the city really plan and pre prepare for that change when it does come. Um, it will also help focus future discussions, uh, such as with the future land use map that Colin was mentioning, um, on specific areas. Um, this is not really something that the current COP plan has done in terms of this areas of change mapping, other than to kind of give general um, blobs, I guess it would say, for uh, potential areas of redevelopment, but we're going a step further with this exercise here in the comp plan update. Um, so to start this process, we started looking at specific criteria related to potential areas of change. I'll run through some of those just to illustrate how we uh, approach this exercise. One was uh, starting with the 2006 comprehensive plan, future land use mapping. Um, those specifically were to look at uh, six future land use designations within the existing uh, comprehensive plan. Regional mixed use, community mixed use, neighborhood mixed use, and then high density residential, general commercial, and regional commercial. Um, we looked at these areas because this was, uh, these, these areas were broadly speaking areas where we did see a fairly, fairly significant amount of change over the past 10 years. And also because it encompassed a lot of uh, areas that had some fairly low density development and due to those economic factors uh, may see increased interest and in redevelopment down the road. And we also looked at the 2006 comprehensive plan infill and redevelopment areas that were designated. Um, these were very general in nature, um, just kind of circular uh, boundaries around uh, fairly large areas. Then we looked at adopted neighborhood development plan areas. So these were areas on the city's fringes, greenfield development areas on the city's fringes where um, Plank Commission City Council have uh, adopted neighborhood development plans that would facilitate development in these areas. We also buffered land within a quarter mile of existing metro service that uh, is, is frequent in terms of four times an hour or more throughout the day. And then also land within a quarter mile of planned bus rapid transit. Um, so the planned bus rapid transit routes were 
and a previous planning process that was led by the MPO with uh, certainly some heavy uh, city staff involvement as well. Then we had a series of other criteria, um, Madison Motion Activity Centers, areas and parcels with low improvement value to land value ratio. So those are parcels where the land is worth more than the improvements in terms of assessments. Then also aging manufacturing buildings, industrial buildings, and shopping centers. Um, many of these were perhaps designed with a limited lifespan or at a very low density or not a very high improvement value. And also parcels with large parking lots and or underdeveloped outlets. Um, so this, all these factors led us to um, areas of potential change and I'll, I'll kind of cycle through the different components of those. Um, this map in particular shows uh, redevelopment areas that are areas of potential change. So this, as you can see, has some fairly uh, large aggregated areas, like in West Town area, um, East Town area, portions of South Park Street, uh, portions of Packers Avenue heading north. And for this, this portion, we kind of looked at broader, larger areas outside of the isthmus and then inside the isthmus went down to really a parcel scale and, and designated individual parcels within the business. And then we also have the greenfield areas uh, accented here. Um, again, those were in response to neighborhood development plan, um, plans on the periphery that have been adopted by the city. And then we have long-term growth areas, and these are areas within the currently adopted comprehensive plan um, that were designated as long-term growth areas kind of beyond the, initial, the 2006 comprehensive plan 20-year planning horizon. And these are areas that will really be re-examined as part of this comprehensive plan process, both in terms of expected demand, I would say, and then also in terms of changes that have occurred in terms of uh, the, the surrounding uh, communities and communities outside of Madison and how those boundaries have changed over the past 10 years. So once we combine all those, we end up with the overall areas of potential change map. And then we, like I said, did a much more detailed look at the isthmus area because of the fine-grained street grid there, um, as well as the high demand for redevelopment that we've seen within the isthmus and CAPI's uh, corridors. So for this, we looked at the parcel level and then sometimes at the sub-parcel level, um, looking at portions of parcels that might be appropriate for redevelopment. So one of the things as we were going through this exercise that we wanted to do towards the end is really make a, a comparison of these areas of potential change and how that compares with uh, development that has occurred over the past 10 years since that 2006 comprehensive plan has been adopted. So this map on the uh, screen right now shows those areas of potential change in light blue and then areas that have been uh, developed or redeveloped over the past 10 years in dark blue. Um, so you can kind of see that a lot of those dark blue areas are surrounded by or within some of those light blue uh, areas of potential change uh, portions of the map, kind of indicating that we feel like we're on the right track in terms of designating those areas of potential change. And then to kind of wrap up my portion of the presentation, I guess, we wanted to um, emphasize some areas for feedback from the plan commission um, 
right now circled in, in orange there and then shown on your handouts that you got in your packet. We're showing uh, mobile home parks as kind of a discussion point for hope, hoping to get some feedback from you tonight as to how we should handle those in this mapping exercise. Um, we, we're not 100% sure if this is going to be a, a product and that's included within the final adopted comprehensive plan. We think perhaps that it will be, but wanted to make sure and get your feedback on mobile home parks, um, particularly the ones along the Beltline, which may face some um, increasing interest from developers and the landowners who own the parks uh, to pursue redevelopment. At the same time, there's certainly uh, sources of affordable housing for hundreds of people living in the community, and um, there's that kind of um, tension, I guess, in between recognizing that there, there could be areas of change versus wanting to certainly acknowledge and preserve a, a affordable housing component within the city. Um, we also wanted to call your attention to the Mifflin area, kind of the six-block area along uh, West Washington Avenue that was designated in the comprehensive plan for potential future redevelopment. But comprehensive plan, or sorry, the downtown plan um, also said that a, a future study should be undertaken to uh, determine the extent and form of that future uh, redevelopment. So that future study is within our 2017 work plan and planning department. So we wanted to get your feedback and input on how that area should be handled uh, within this uh, areas of stability and change uh, mapping exercise. So certainly welcome your comments on any of those uh, portions, as well as your comments on the mapping in general. Uh, if you have any other general feedback and comments, certainly want to hear from you before we introduce this to the community at large. We think that this will kind of segue into the, the future land use mapping uh, discussion and edits and uh, look forward to getting your feedback and then the feedback of the community as well. Good questions. Mr. Rui? Uh, thank you. I had a question about uh, the north side. You've got the long-term growth area, and that puzzles me because about 99% of that is wetland. Uh, could you put a more realistic boundary on that? Well, seriously, for, for the long-term growth areas, we did map specifically in green the areas that we expect to be um, preserved as natural areas. Um, and it's not a long-term growth area. It's already preserved. The city owns most of that, or the county already owns most of that land. Uh, if, if it's a growth area, you should. I would think you'd just mark out the really truly growth area, not all the wetlands, uh, especially on the north side. I can accept what you did on the east side, but not the north side. Right. Well, and that's that's really why we did include that green shading is to designate that it's a natural area. I guess okay. we we looked at these growth areas as areas where the city would be growing, not necessarily areas that would be developed, but potentially areas but that would be coming into the city, city whether or not already in the city land of single corridors. You're sort of um, losing your credibility when you show that as, as it is. It doesn't look credible. Well, uh, once again, that's why we made sure well, to shade areas in green that we, yeah, but you're, we you're are not quite hearing what I'm saying. It doesn't look credible. And I know it's all wetland, but if it's all wetland, why are you showing it? I, I guess, I mean, I, I, I think as long as we're addressing it as future open space that will be within the city. It already is like open space. It's already Mr. publicly Ru owned. Mr. Rui? Uh, you, you, made, you made your point. I'm, I'm, I didn't think I was listening. I, I don't think it was heard. Well, I think staff has heard it. Um, I just uh, just wanted to make sure. Do, do you see the two different colors on the map, the, the blue versus the green? 
So I think what, what Ben is saying is that there was an attempt to show the wetland floodplain and open space in green and differentiate it from the, the areas of potential change, which are shown in blue. Okay, but you're saying you'd rather not see the green indicator on that? The green is fine. I don't like the, I don't like the border of the potential uh, uh, long-term growth area. Okay, this one. Right. Okay. So would we would you recommend then, like on the well, far east east side, drawing that blue boundary around all those green areas? Well, the as well, east or? side is okay because it's but pretty much all the stuff on the north side is already publicly owned. It has open space. Right. It's not really a designation of ownership necessarily, but more of wetlands, floodplains, and parklands. But when you say growth area is sitting on top of a wetland, it looks sort of strange. <laughs> well, this, yeah, there, there are areas of potential change is really the map title, and that's what's shown in blue. So that's, that's our objective, and, and that's our objective in, in this mapping. Exercise. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Ruing. Mr. Cantrell? Yes, I have a question on the um, uh, areas of change in the isthmus area. Yes. Um, just because I live uh, in the 500 block of Main Street, I'm, I'm familiar with especially that, that area. Mm -hmm. And uh, it appears what you're showing, at least in my block, um, are, are parking lots, which I understand those are certainly redevelopment sites, mm -hmm. and apartment buildings that were built in the 60s and and 70s that have parking in front of the building and rather unattractive and, and kind of intrusions into the area. But you're, you're not showing some of the, the older homes that have been converted to three and four units that, that are really not well maintained. And, and I, my assumption is that probably has uh, a number of violations, at least in the past they have. Uh, so I would you know, at least to suggest that you look at uh, some of those, at least some of the, the residential structures that, that um, you know, I, I think should be taken out and, and combined with some of the other uh, less attractive, you know, eight-unit buildings that have been constructed uh, so that you get a, a large enough development site to actually make a difference. And I, I think that, um, but that, that's what I would suggest you do, at okay. least. At least in the, the, the Bassett neighborhood, that and and I can understand uh, historic preservation and preserving some of those blocks. I think at least the 400 block of Dode, West Doty Street, I think, is relatively intact. There, there's still a number of homes there that um, uh, uh, and, and apartment buildings that have been added that that kind of fit the scale. But uh, some of those other blocks, uh, they've lost the, the scale is 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 off. But that's one of the, my suggestions, at least in that, in that neighborhood. Sure, yeah, we can definitely do some additional analysis on those and uh, look into. Are you finished, Mr. Cantrell? Yeah. Well. Uh, Alder Carter. Yes, um, my concern is the mobile, Madison Mobile Park, which is on the Beltline. Um, obviously, that area is prime for development, if that should happen. But my concern is for the people who live there now. Um, the people who live there now are extremely low income. Uh, the possibility of them qualifying for housing on the it, 
the regular process is slim, and that's why they choose to live there. Mm -hmm. I would be very concerned with redevelopment that upheavals their home and their um, safety net of having a roof over their head. I would caution uh, developers and the owner of the Madison Mobile Park to proceed with caution. Yes, and that's absolutely um, certainly what we wanted to uh, have a discussion with the commission about tonight. So, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, Mr. Zellers. Is there anyone else to speak on this topic? No? Then is any action, are you asking for any action from us tonight? Um, no action, just wanted to introduce this to the commission, uh, let everyone know that um, it will likely uh, be introduced to the public along with the future land use map and get your comments and feedback. So All right, well, thank you. Thank you very much for the presentation. I'm sorry, Mr. Cantrell. To have one other comment. Uh, the Myth Land area, um, I think um, I was on the Plan Commission when, when uh, we reviewed uh, the downtown plan, and, and I think the downtown plan has some guidance on, on at least the thinking, at least at that time, about the Mifflin area, because uh, Mifflin is is uniquely situated between the university and the downtown and, and State Street, so uh, there could be a, a mix of uses uh, that would be a, a, a appropriate within that area. Um, could be could be uh, certainly residential, uh, 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 high-density residential, uh, uh, mixed-use office research, um, uh, not, not a university expansion area, but, but related uses that, that could be employee, employment-driven, um, and, and, you know, not necessarily retail, but some service uses as well. So I think that if you look at the downtown plan, there is some language guidance, I think, that you'll find in that area. But I do think that's going to be an important uh, redevelopment area. And we really need to look at uh, the site uh, very carefully because of its uniqueness. And I think that there's, um, it's, it has uh, some great opportunities. So... From that, then, uh, it sounds like you'd recommend that we would keep it in the uh, areas of change in terms of how it's outlined right now. Yes, that's at least what I would think, yes. Okay. Okay, anyone else? Then again, thank you, Mr. Zellers. Uh, <clears throat> I neglected to make an introduction before. We have a new member this evening, uh, Jason Hagenow, who's sitting right here. Put your hand up so everybody can see you. Um, he is now our second alternate. So welcome. <clears throat> now, for those of you uh, mostly in the gallery who aren't regulars here, I want to explain what we're going to do next. We have what we call a consent agenda in which we take up every item that is completely agreed to. No one insists on speaking. And uh, there is no one registered in opposition. So I will read out the, uh, the list of, <coughs> of the consent agenda, and then we'll vote on it. Do we have any registrations on the consent agenda? Okay, if you give those to me. Thank you. 
way down at the end. Okay. Um, the consent agenda includes uh, item 5, uh, Legistar 45548, amending the general ordinances to clarify that automobile, automobile service station activities must occur inside a building and that the windows and doors to that building must be closed if working during evening hours. Item 6, Legistar 45553, repealing and amending portions of Section 28.151 of the ordinances to remove a duplicate section and the supplemental regulations related to the reuse of former schools, municipal buildings, or places of worship. Item 7, Legistar 45554, amending section 28.066, paren 3, paren A. Eight of the Madison General Ordinances to allow entrances in the mixed use and commercial districts to be oriented toward a private street. Item 8, Legistar 45555, amending sections 28.151 and 28.082, paren 1, of the Madison ordinances to require accessory buildings and structures to meet the requirements contained in section 28.131. Item 10, <coughs> Uh, Legistar 45557, amending section 28.082 of the Madison General Ordinances to allow contractors business with showroom or workshop in all employment districts. Item 11, Legistar 45558, amending section 28.082 of the Madison General Ordinances to add co-housing community as a permitted use in suburban employment, traditional employment, suburban employment center, and employment campus districts. Item 12, Legistar 45559, creating section 28.141, paren 9, paren B2 of the Madison General Ordinances to allow residential driveway with extension. Item 13, Legistar 45560, amending section 28.211 of the Madison General Ordinances to change the definition of a lot area so that areas designated as wetlands or reserved by easement to the public cannot be counted in the overall lot area calculation. Uh, now, item 14 is uh, for referral, we'll wrap that into the same motion, Legistar uh, 44569, uh, consideration of a demolition permit and conditional use to allow demolition of a two-family residence and four-unit apartment building and construction of a 52-unit apartment building at 119 to 125 North Butler Street as part of a residential building complex. Item 16, Legistar 45462, consideration of a conditional use for limited production and processing for a food and related goods sales business at 2083 Atwood Avenue. 
We have registrants, uh, uh, number 16, Isaac May, 467 Sydney Street, apartment 1, uh, in support available to answer questions, representing Gail Ambrosius Chocolates. And Kevin Burrow, 7601 University Avenue, Middleton, uh, also in support available to answer questions, representing Prime Urban Properties 2020, Eastwood, Madison. Item 17, Legistar 45463, consideration of a demolition permit and conditional use to allow a bowling alley to be demolished and an auto sales business to be constructed at 502 to 506 East Badger Road. Uh, we have one registrant, Jerry Mortier, 1609 Swartz Drive, uh, in support available to answer questions, representing Fields Automotive Group, 1901 East Moreland. Uh, I presume that's probably Milwaukee, but it's Wisconsin. Um, and let's see, item 18, Legistar 45464, consideration of a certified survey map with the city's extraterritorial jurisdiction, redividing two lots at 11713 Midtown Road, town of Verona. Uh, we have one registrant, Dana uh, Barr, I, I think, or ba Barry, um, B-A-R-R-E, 11713 Midtown Road, Verona, in support available to answer questions. So that is the entire consent agenda with referral. Are there any questions? Uh, motion, Mr. Cantrell, motion to approve, seconded by Mr. Oath. Uh, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Uh, passes unanimously. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Hagenau, you're not voting at the moment, but I think there'll be an opportunity later this evening. So that brings us to item nine, I believe. So, um, Ms. Item, I'm sorry. Item two. Two, three, four. Okay. Um, and I believe there'll be revisions and a substitution, but I'll read the uh, items two, three, and four, and then we'll hear from staff. Uh, item two is Legistar 45543, uh, changing zoning of property at 6802 Ronald Reagan Avenue from SC to IL. Item three, Legistar 45461, approving a certified survey map of property owned by the City of Madison in the Center for Industry and Commerce and generally addressed as 6802 Ronald Reagan Avenue. And number four, uh, Legistar 45607, terminating a deed restriction on lots 66 through 69 within the Center for Industry and Commerce, which limits Restrict, which limits, restricts the land to hotel or motel uses. Uh, Mr. Parks. 
Mr. Chair, members of the Planning Commission, uh, as the Chair noted, items two through four are related dealing with the City's uh, proposal to sell two lots for development to St. John's Properties. Uh, these items were recommended for the consent agenda. However, uh, you have two items of note before you that have changed since you received your materials on Friday. Uh, first, an addendum, uh, which applies most primarily to the conditions of approval uh, from the City Engineering Division as they relate to the approval of the certified survey map. That addendum was provided at your places. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, regarding number four, ID 45607, you have a fairly substantial substitute to that resolution before you that expands the scope of uh, revisions and terminations to deed restrictions uh, that apply to the lands that will be sold to St. John's properties. Mm -hmm. Staff recommends approval of uh, all of these items with the revisions noted, and I would be happy to answer any questions after the public hearing. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have registrants? Uh, I will open the public hearing. Um, there are no registrants, so I will close the public hearing. Are there questions of staff? Seeing none, um, is there a motion? Mr. Cantrell. I move approval uh, with the uh, changes as uh, recommended by staff. And a second. Ms. Berger, thank you. Um, any discussion of the motion? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. aye. Opposed, no. Passes unanimously. Thank you. So now we're on item nine, even though I started there prematurely. Uh, item nine is Legistar 45556. Amending sections 28.061 and 28.151 of the Madison General Ordinances to allow vehicle service sales and windows underneath buildings in the TSS, MC, CCT, and CC districts. Uh, and I want, I'd like to note that you have letters at your places from Alders Eskrich and Rummel on opposite sides of this issue. And there's uh, another communication from uh, Mr. Wadier. So, um, Mr. Tucker. Thank you. Uh, what you have in front of you is a uh, uh, amendment to the city zoning code that was prepared at the request of Alder Eskrich to allow for uh, vehicle access sales and service windows, more commonly referred to as drive-through windows or drive-up windows, drive-up facilities, to be allowed as conditional uses within the TSS uh, district. And this amendment um, uh, has uh, some special conditions related to it that speak to um, the, let's see, I'm trying to think exactly what it was. Uh, the location of the drive-through being behind a commercial space and the drive-through being entirely underneath uh, the building. And that's basically the extent of it. Thank you. Uh, with that, I will open the public hearing. And uh, we have registrants on item 9. Uh, we have one registrant, Nathan Wadier. 
22 East Mifflin Street uh, in support available to answer questions from Reinhard Berner and Van Duren. Uh, any questions for Mr. Wadier? Seeing none, I will close the public hearing. Questions of staff? Alder Zellers. Whoops, I'm sorry. Um, I'm wondering if Mr. Tucker could give an example that might be out there right now that isn't necessarily in TSS but would illustrate um, what this would allow. Yeah, I can't think of an example of one in the TSS district off the top of my head. Oh, wait, maybe there is one. The um, uh, Monona State Bank on Atwood to Winnebago, I believe that has a drive-through facility underneath that bank. And uh, an example of one in a uh, similar, I guess, developed area would be the, the cargo coffee shop underneath the Constellation. That's a planned development, but it's a facility that is entirely located underneath the building, and you drive through the parking facility, uh, enter um, one side, exit out East Washington. The, the, the bank across across the way would be another example, would it not? BMO has. I, yeah, I think it has, it has a drive-through, and it's also the service corridor for the Capitol building, I think, but I believe there's a bank drive-through in there, yes. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> let's see, uh, Mr. Cantrell is next. Uh, Mr. Rui, I don't see your... Oh, okay, Mr. Cantrell. Um, I read the um, uh, Alder Rummel's um, uh, memo or letter, and also I think um, uh, Stuart Levitan also had a letter in opposition. Uh, and some other opposition related to uh, uh, Willie Street and because it's in a historic district, uh, was there any consideration of excluding historic districts from the TSS requirement, or would that complicate things? Um, Sorry, I can't seem to get two lights on at the same time. Uh, there wasn't any decision one way or the other. The request was to uh, draft an amendment to allow for the drive-through facilities in TSS. I did this morning, uh, after receiving that correspondence also, uh, spend a little time with the preservation planner, Amy Scanlon. We talked about the likelihood of this, of this type of uh, facility. It's possible the, the uh, interest in, by the Landmarks Commission is basically the exterior view of the building. So it, it might be a little complicated, say, mid-block uh, where you're putting driveways in, but maybe a corner location might be less complicated. It really depends on what it's going to look like. I don't think it necessarily makes uh, sense to limit the land use because of the landmarks. I think that can be dealt with on its own. Uh, just to follow up, um, Mr. Levitan's letter seems to imply that approving this would usurp the landmarks ordinance. I don't think is anything that implies that at all. No, I don't believe so either. I, I haven't seen his letter, but just um, I did see the communication from Alder Rummel. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Landmarks Commission does have their own process to review for certificates of appropriateness for developments, and this would be like any other part of a development going to the Landmarks Commission for their consideration under their ordinance. 
Okay, thank you. Alder Carter? Yes, I have a question for staff. So, um, this amendment, so you mentioned Cargo Coffee, which is on the street level of the building, and the drive-through is basically through the ground level parking lot. So, th this amendment, is that similar to what they're looking at on just opportunity on Monroe Street? Or is this opening up a can of worms that nobody wants to try to catch and put back in the can? Well, to allow for the amendment is to have the conversation. So I, I can't speak exactly to how any particular new one might be laid out. I know there are some challenges in locating them uh, in the TSS districts because the lots tend to be shallower, as we noted in our staff commenting. Um, underbuilding in, in any scenario, um, it's to be determined, and it will be handled on a case-by-case -case basis if the use is allowed. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mr. Cantrell is next. Yeah, I just have a, a follow-up question from what I uh, mentioned, uh, talked about uh, earlier. Uh, so, uh, if this was, if this passes, and, and if a use was proposed within a historic district, it would go to landmarks no matter what. Uh, the reason it would go, out, would go to landmarks is because of the exterior change in the building. Okay. Uh, so I presume that if the drive up the vehicle facility had some openings, that's what would, would go. I, I, the operational characteristics, what's going on inside the building, sure. because it has to be entirely under the building, mm -hmm. um, perhaps it's visualness if it's not entirely enclosed underneath the building. Uh, that might be of consideration, but that's the Landmarks Commission is dealing with the, okay. the exterior, the view, the, those okay. issues. Ms. Berger? Um, am I thinking about this correctly, that this use would inevitably mean two, you know, ent two entrance egress into, into a development, whereas Otherwise, TSS development would often have one, you know, maybe one place where cars are going in and out of a garage. But um, but this way, you'd, you'd have to have two, right? Only if we approved it. Right. Uh, under this amendment. Uh, yeah, assuming the use is allowed, no, it depends. Um, it, it, you have to look at sort of the unique situations that each of these TSS districts falls in. The uh, Minnesota State Bank has two streets, so that's a good example of, yeah, it would have two openings going either direction. But some of the properties along the south side of Monroe Street, they abut an alley. So they may have zero openings to a street because all the entrance and exit might be from the alley, if that is workable. Uh, if it's on a corner location, um, perhaps it could pull off of uh, uh, corner streets, could loop around the inside and exit where it comes in. It's all how, the, how it loops and flows through the, the facility, depending on the, the size of the building within which it's located. Right. It just so, needs to be smaller lots, so like I can see it at the cargo coffee because it's a bigger development, but trying to imagine it in a TSS lot. There are some large TSS lots out there. Um, most of them are smaller. They're all pretty shallow in depth unless they punch all the way through the the, um, the lot. I think uh, 
uh, there are some of those, like um, I think the uh, Willie Street Co-op, is it TSS that runs from uh, Willie to Jennifer? Right. But there's not that many. Most of them are half block. Alder Zellers. Um, yeah, and you, you raised the one that I was kind of thinking of but brought up another one, and that is like um, if there were access on an alley or from what could be considered a side street, those would also under this not be allowed to be visible from the alley or from that side street, or would they be? No, they would be. Uh, the restriction is that it's uh, that it have um, like commercial space uh, on the I think it's the primary street. So if you're thinking about a corner location, you'll have one that will be the main the main portion of the street, and the other that would be a um, a side street, um, and one of those two would be selected as the main street, like we do with all the other requirements of the ordinance for the design of the amount of percentage of windows, if you're familiar with that, and projects when they come through, you have a similar situation going on here. So it'll be on a case-by-case -case basis that review the, the visualness, the way that it looks from the side street, because that's probably how it would be accessed. Or it would be a driveway alongside pulling into the, uh, the facility if it's a mid-block location. But on the primary street, the intent is that that you not really be able to see it. Is, am I understanding that correctly? You are. Okay. Um, is there a pending proposal that this is intending to address? Uh, yes. Okay. I just wondered how soon we were going to have to go through this. I okay. mean, is it? I, I believe, yeah, yeah. If, okay, uh, I think fine. Nathan could answer that, I suppose. If that's okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Polevsky. Thank you. Um, from the city's perspective, what is the public policy benefit of having drive-throughs in TSS districts on shallow lots to increase the use of automobile traffic? I mean, I can, I can take a crack at that. I think this commission really needs to deliberate and set that this evening. Um, as, as you see in the staff memo, we recognize that, you know, on, on one hand, opening up um, TSS mixed-use buildings to a wider array of commercial development could theoretically fill spaces that you're, you're seeing, you know, vacant commercial space today. But on the other hand, we recognize that, you know, due to this relatively consistent pattern of small lots, shallow lots, these uses could really take up quite a bit of space on that commercial level and preclude a, a variety of other commercial uses at the same time. I think, um, you know, that, that's really for this body to, to weigh, on and weigh in on, and, and this, uh, the recommendation to the council really dictates what the plan commission's policy is on allowing this. So we've, I think we've laid out some pros and cons, and um, await your deliberation and decision on it. Thank you. Uh, anyone else uh, to staff? <clears throat> uh, then is there a motion? Mr. Cantrell? Yeah, I would um, uh, move that we approve this amendment. 
there a second? Mr. Rui? Second uh, discussion? Yes, I'll speak to the motion. Um, the reason why I'm supporting this is because uh, it's a conditional use. And I think that as a conditional use, the Planning Commission has review and approval authority and must review it against the, the standards that we have. In addition, um, some of the current concerns have been raised about uh, 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 this, use, this use being potentially located within a historic district. Um, I think that because the Landmarks Commission would be a party to the re review within those districts, um, that, that uh, we, we would get their input. And, um, I, and that would be based on a case-by-case -case basis, and we would evaluate their input at that time. So I, I think that there's enough protections uh, and that we can review this on a case-by-case -case basis, and it may open up some opportunities for the, the commercial uses that we have uh, along these corridors that may be quite appropriate. Obviously, you know, for very narrow lots, I don't think that functionally it will work. Uh, but, but I think that um, in some of these areas, there may be some properties that uh, would quite, work quite well. So that's why I'm uh, moved in, in favor of it. Thank you. Anyone else? Alder Zellers. Um, I will be actually supporting this. Uh, one of the comments I have, though, is I don't think that this will be appropriate in very many situations, but there might be one or two out there that it's okay. So I kind of send that forth saying there better be a good case that's made for the conditional use or I will not be voting for it when it comes up here. Um, but I can see that there may be very small situations where it might work. Thank you. Mr. Polevsky. And I'm going to be opposing this for the reason that there might be one or two instances where it might possibly be appropriate, but generally not. So let's not open it up. Thank you. Uh, anyone else? Then uh, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed, no? No. no. I believe there are two no's. Uh, the motion passes. I uh, believe that will bring us to item 15, Legistar 45531, consideration of a conditional use in the traditional employment zoning district to allow construction of an up to eight-story commercial slash office building containing 152,925 square feet of floor area at 801 East Washington Avenue. <clears throat> Mr. Parks, uh, I, I just want to note Ms. Berger is leaving. Mr. Hagenau, you now will be able to vote. Mr. Parks. Chair, uh, members of the Planning Commission, uh, the request before you tonight regarding 801 East Washington Avenue is uh, to a degree a continuation of a discussion that this body had about the same site and uh, elements of the same project at its December 12, 2016 meeting where the Planning Commission approved a four-story version of this project 
with about 92,000 square feet of uh, space in a four-story building, uh, which included uh, office, uh, retail, and an entertainment venue. Uh, the request before you tonight is uh, the second half of the question regarding the project referred to as the Cosmos to construct uh, up to 60,000 additional square feet of office space on four floors above the building that was before you last month. Uh, the project requires uh, conditional use approval by the Planning Commission uh, to allow construction of a building taller than five stories and 68 feet in the traditional employment district. Uh, staff has reviewed the project and believes that the conditional use standards can be met. The Urban Design Commission granted initial approval of the four-story version of the project on November 30th, 2016 and granted initial approval of the eight-story version of the project on January 11th. Uh, as part of the January 11th initial approval action by the Urban Design Commission, there was a request made by the Urban Design Commission to seek uh, the advice of the City Attorney's Office regarding uh, the ability for the project to achieve bonus stories uh, in Urban Design District 8 based on correspondence that they received from a member of the public, Ms. Linda Leonards. Uh, there is also correspondence from Ms. Leonards in tonight's Plan Commission packet, uh, which pertains to the questions before you, as well as uh, effectively re-raising some of the issues that she raised for the Urban Design Commission. Uh, the Plan Commission should take note uh, that you do have advice from John Strange of the City Attorney's Office uh, that was issued this afternoon, uh, which uh, provides guidance for both the Urban Design Commission and the Planning Commission. It is the City Attorney's Office opinion and Planning Division staff opinion that the Planning Commission can act on the conditional use before you tonight, uh, that the conditional use standards can be met, subject to the project receiving final approval by the Urban Design Commission pursuant to the requirements in Urban Design District 8, which include whether or not, once and for all, the project is eligible for bonus stories as outlined in the Urban Design District. Uh, staff would be happy to answer any questions that the Plan Commission has following the public hearing. Thank you. Before I open the public hearing, I just want to emphasize uh, one item, and that is that the <clears throat> towards the end of Mr. Park's statement, that Urban Design Commission has authority over the bonus stories, not us. What's before us is the conditional use. So with that, I will open the public hearing. We have a number of registrants. The first registrant is Jeff for Carteran, 33 East Main Street, in support wishing to speak, representing Gebhardt Development. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you all again. Uh, as Tim mentioned, since we were last here in December, we've uh, worked to address your comments on the four-story version of the project, so we're excited to present the eight-story version to you tonight. Um, speaking after me are uh, Rick Gilbertson and Larry Barton from Strain, and they're going to touch on some of the changes we've made in a bit more detail um, but what I thought I'd do is just highlight some of the changes that we've made since the last meeting in response to your comments. And uh, you do have a letter in your packet from us that, that outlines the, the highlights of the changes. Um, so what you'll hear uh, Rick and Larry walk through in a minute 
uh, namely the bike parking additions and changes. Uh, we're now up to 226 bike parking spaces, which exceeds the requirement of 181. Uh, we've also worked to move the bark, bike parking uh, out of the terrace and into onto the private property, which was uh, one of the, the comments that we heard at the last meeting. Uh, so we think those are positive changes that provide some additional bike parking on the site while moving a lot of it out of the terrace as well. Um, we've worked to address uh, the loading dock areas, and there were some questions raised at the, at the last meeting of whether we had two or three loading dock areas, and we, we had three all along, but we've uh, clarified that a bit better on the, the revised plans that are, are before you tonight. So there are actually two loading docks on Main Street and one on Livingston, uh, so hopefully that comes through uh, a bit more clear in the revised plans that are before you. Uh, additionally, we've addressed uh, screening on the, uh, at the uh, plaza area uh, where you'll see an addition of bike parking along the loading dock area, uh, as well as the fourth floor cantilever on East Main. Uh, so that, again, is uh, addressing some of the comments we heard uh, from you when we were last here. Uh, Larry will talk a bit more about the sustainability question. Uh, that was a comment from Alder Rummel at the last meeting. Uh, so we've, we've addressed that with some additional uh, lead compliance. And uh, so I think if you look at the list that we've provided you, which um, Rick and Larry will talk about in a minute, I think we've addressed your, your comments from the last meeting pretty well, and, and we're looking forward to your feedback on the, the uh, eighth-story version before you tonight. Thank you. Are there questions for Mr. Carterin? Thank you, sir. Uh, next, Rick Gilbertson, 5411 Mineral Point Road, Madison, in support, wishing to speak, representing Gephardt Development. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I think Jeff touched on most of the items. I'm going to expand a little bit on, on a couple of those. Uh, this is a site plan uh, of the, the project. It also includes the uh, Spark Project, which is sharing uh, public plaza space between East Wash and Main Street that cuts through the site. Uh, the footprint's the same as the four-story option. Um, as Jeff mentioned, try to point to it, we've, we've added some information on the loading docks. Um, along Livingston Street, there's a 12 by 30 dock space here. And then on, on Main Street, there's two 12 by 72 dock spaces, and those are shown here. Probably the most significant change was we did increase the number of bike parking stalls, this diagram. Um, and a quick snapshot tries to show how they're dispersed around the site. We've got 50 shared stalls in the uh, public plaza space. Uh, the 50 stalls closer to Main Street along the dock are the vertical bike parking stalls. That's where they would be located. Uh, there are 60 stalls in the building that would, on the fourth floor that would be for tenant use. And uh, eight stalls in the right-of-way, which was a significant reduction from what we showed last time. And 58 um, in the property setback from... East Washington Avenue, Living Street, Street Street Corner, all the way around Main Street along the building frontage. Last time we did not show uh, a diagram uh, showing the lot coverage uh, of pervious space. Uh, this diagram shows how the project uh, meets those requirements. Uh, it also was a little bit short last time we met. To meet that goal, we have added uh, additional green space at grade at the corner of Livingston and Main and along Main Street. 
Uh, and you can see in here, this is where there's additional vegetation. And then the other uh, tactic being implemented is we're adding a vegetative roof system on the fourth floor. Uh, approximately 5,500 square feet of vegetative roof and uh, adjacent to that is an outdoor patio space, approximately 2,700 square feet. This is just a quick massing diagram that helps show some of the additional green roof space on the four floors of the building. It shows how it relates to uh, the neighboring Sparks proposed development and other buildings in the neighborhood. won't spend too much time on this. It was in your packet. It just talks about the bonus stories and how the project meets that. Um, basically, it's using the UDD-8 um, prescriptive requirement that you can use uh, provide public park space uh, adjacent to public right-of-way. Uh, and the calculations show that um, it, would it would allow for approximately 30,000 square feet or 35,000 square feet of park space. Uh, the project's asking for about 20,000 square feet of additional space. This is a rendering uh, looking for Livingston Street. You, you've used three minutes. Could, could you, do you think another yeah. minute would do it? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to show a couple renderings. This is, the last, this is a rendering from uh, Livingston Street. Updated. This is an updated rendering from Main Street showing the uh, bike parking and the vegetative screen wall around the mechanical equipment. And this is a view from East Washington Avenue. Thank you. Are there questions from Mr. Gilbertson? Seeing none, thank you. Whoops, I'm sorry, the lights just lit up. Come back, Mr. Gilbertson. Uh, Mr. Rui first. Thank you. Uh, along uh, Livingston, uh, by the loading dock, you've got that one corner of the building out close to the sidewalk. Is that tight to the sidewalk? Uh, yes, it is pretty close to the sidewalk, um, but it's it's stepped back from the property line. How, so how, far, this, how far back is it set back? It's probably a foot. So this building varies quite a bit along well, Livingston Street. The reason I ask that, that's a tight spot where there's uh, where you have the loading dock, and I was wondering... Uh, it's a little piece of angles down. Uh, Correct. So, so it does does reach out at that location, um, and then the loading dock steps back 15 feet though from the property line. I was looking at I was looking at site, and then plus uh, because uh, you're going to have a lot of people during events that uh, you have a sidewalk constriction there. I was wondering yeah. if you had any concerns about that. No, the operators of the venue have looked at it very closely, and they they feel like the space within the property is more than adequate for queuing. They actually don't queue people um, very long outside the venue. They tried to, to preload the facility inside and the design inside of the building is set up to preload for an event so that there aren't a lot of people waiting out in the sidewalk. Uh, in fact, historically, I guess um, the main lines would be for the ticket window, which um, there are ticket windows here, but that's also, uh, there's less demand for that today because a lot of people will purchase online now. So, yeah, I was just looking at people coming to the site in general for an event uh, and that constriction at the sidewalk right there. wondering if you had any concerns about that. We, we don't. We've, we've thought a lot about it and worked with the client. And, we again, we feel like this, the setbacks for the rest of the block that, that mostly address uh, the venue, which would be 
um, from that bump out that you, you're talking about all the way to the corner, about two-thirds of the block has uh, 10 to 30 feet of setback in, in, in this area um, is, is a very large queuing area. And the main entry is here. Actually, I should point out this door is really primarily exit only and that people will be brought into the space uh, much farther uh, towards Main Street. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Alder Carter. I see that corner you were just showing in one of your renderings. This one? Or is that Livingston? No. That we were just on? So this would be Livingston looking towards East Wash. So when that um, comes over to the sidewalk, is that the second floor? Or is that the first floor that's actually touching the sidewalk? Actually, yeah, the other view, and actually. So this is a view from East Wash looking uh, down along uh, Livingston. Um, it is a two-story element. The, the shorter four-story is a precast piece that bumps out and then the weathering steel is above it. So it, it does come out fairly close to the sidewalk at that corner. Um, part of the reason for that is to provide a little bit of prominence for the venue along East Wash as people are traveling along, kind of an indicator that it's there. Okay, and my second question, which I cannot find in the letter that you submitted, was um, I believe we talked about um, researching special glass that avoids bear, um, bird strikes? Well, we've, um, we have... I mean, where was that at? Where is that in your... Was that the other building and not I think this it was one? the other, other building. Okay. Um, I guess you're off the hook. Okay. <laughs> Is that it, Alder Carter? That's it for me. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, thank you, Mr. Gilbertson. Uh, the next registrant is Larry Barton, uh, 6411 Mineral Point Road, in support, wishing to speak. Ms. Barton, you've got three minutes. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm a uh, principal at Strang and, and uh, also a lead accredited professional. And we are designing this building uh, to a lead standard, version 4, with the Corn Shell project. Uh, uh, Myron Construction uh, is also working on the building as the contractor. And uh, Teresa uh, Lehman uh, is the uh, lead accredited professional that would be administering the project. Uh, one of the unique things that we have on this project uh, that two tenants, uh, Strang and Myron, uh, are going to be tenants in this building and will be pursuing uh, lead certification uh, for both of our projects as well. Uh, so we have the added benefit of designing both the exterior and the interior of these buildings to uh, two lead standards. We're using an integrative project delivery method uh, where the owner and the architect and the contractor all work together uh, to uh, look at optimizing the sustainability uh, throughout the project. And we start by looking at the neighborhood and the community uh, itself. And uh, certainly there's a lot of uh, strong sustainable amenities uh, to this location. 
very diverse uses uh, around the site, lots of uh, businesses and uh, support facilities uh, within walking distance. Uh, good access to frequent bus stops and, uh, and drop-offs in this area. Uh, Rick talked about the uh, uh, bicycle parking on site. Uh, we think that too is a very uh, strong amenity helping to reduce on-site parking. Of course, there's no uh, on-site parking here, but the city parking ramp becomes one of those complementary sustainable uh, amenities. And we would imagine that there'll be uh, additional sustainable features of that parking ramp as well in terms of uh, green vehicles and incentives uh, to reduce uh, vehicle traffic in this area. In terms of the site itself, there's uh, quite a bit of green space that's being added on this site, uh, which should improve it from its current uh, situation, adding habitat uh, to this site, especially some of the vegetative roofs uh, that you saw in previous slides uh, should be supporting that. Uh, open space uh, being provided, all, all four sides of this building, but uh, also with the, uh, with the site. Uh, the uh, heat island reduction is uh, accomplished in a few ways uh, by lighter colored materials on the ground surfaces and on the roof surfaces as well as some of these vegetated uh, roof areas. And a light pollution reduction uh, also uh, created through the lighting that's uh, selected being cut off fixtures uh, on the site. Uh, in terms of water efficiency, uh, what's, what's being that's planned? Three minutes, can you summarize in a minute? I sure can. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, in terms of water efficiency, uh, we're using uh, natural plantings that are local to this area, and we're not really anticipating any uh, irrigation on site. And then certainly the building itself is being uh, designed to lead standards. It's it's uh, surpassing the requirements of uh, water uh, uh, use and reduction standards. It's exceeding ASHRAE 90.1 energy use standards. It's exceeding the indoor air quality standards of ASHRAE 62.1. Uh, we're uh, monitoring, using this as a teaching tool. We'll be monitoring energy and water on the project as well, uh, both inside and out, so we can use it as a teaching tool moving forward. Are there questions for Mr. Barton? Seeing none, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> the next registrant is Lee Christensen, 834 East Washington uh, Avenue, Suite 233, in support available to answer questions. Otto Gebhardt, 222 North Street, in support available to answer questions. And Angela Black, uh, 333 East Main Street in support available to answer questions representing Gephardt Development. Are there any questions for any of these registrants? Are there any questions for any of the earlier registrants before I close the public hearing? Seeing none, I will close the public hearing. Are there questions for staff? Seeing none, then a motion. Uh, Mr. Kent, I'm sorry, uh, Alder Zellers. You have a question? Um, yeah, I just want to make sure that I understand the building heights thing. So, um, my understanding is that we're talking about five stories, 68 feet. 
and that can you so just the, walk through that plan? Sure. So the traditional employment TE district allows by right a five-story building. Anything over and above that requires conditional use approval. Um, in the Urban Design District 8, this site is recommended for eight stories, but the height limits on the floor-to-floor -floor heights um, <clears throat> are sufficiently low in the Urban Design District 8 ordinance that it actually necessitates the top two stories of this building to be counted as bonus stories. And so what I mean, this is an eight-story building, uh -huh. um, but the top two floors are higher than the maximum height allowable in the UDD 8 for an eight-story building. And so they, in turn, become bonus stories and need to show that they, they meet the criteria for bonus stories. That issue will be addressed um, by the Urban Design Commission in their review um, once this goes back to Urban Design for final design approval. They'll need to demonstrate clearly that they've met um, the criteria for bonus stories and get that approval from Urban Design Commission. So our standards then in regard to a, a, a approval of these extra stories um, are really the conditional use the conditional number use 12. Standards. Correct. Item 12, and that's it. We don't pay any attention at all to the UDD 8 that, requirements. That is in the Urban Design Commission's purview, um, you know, the determination as to whether those standards are met for bonus stories. Okay. Uh, anyone else? <coughs> I'm sorry. Any questions of staff? Then uh, motion, Mr. Cantrell. I move approval uh, of this development, finding it consistent with the uh, conditional use standards. Seconded by Mr. Rui. Uh, Mr. Cantrell, do you uh, wish to speak? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, this development I, I find uh, quite appropriate for this site. Um, uh, East Washington is emerging as a, a um, extremely important um, redevelopment area. Uh, we've seen at least uh, two buildings already constructed. The third uh, up the street is being constructed in, in uh, Spark, and now this, this uh, property, which adjoins it. Um, uh, the a parking garage is going to be accommodating the parking, and I think this is exactly the type of development uh, I was hoping for, and I think what the city was hoping for with uh, purchasing of these sites far in advance of uh, of, of uh, development. Uh, uh, so I, I'm very extremely happy and I do believe that uh, this meets uh, the, uh, the standards that we have in our conditional use. Thank you, Mr. Cantrell. Mr. Rove? Um, I agree 100% with Mr. Cantrell. I fully will support it. Um, I just want to make a comment and express my disappointment, I guess, with the design team that the method by which they brought this forward to us in two separate fashions in December, it was a four-story building, and now in January it's an eight-story building. I think they knew fully well back in December that it was going to be an eight-story building. They could have said so at that particular time and saved us a lot of discussion tonight. So, my comment. Thank you. Alder Zellers? I am I'm, I am supportive of this um, development. I think they've done a really nice job of uh, the architecture and the look of the building, and I do hope that they are able to work out their um, cross easements agree agreements. The one thing that I would say is I really would like to see that plaza 
clearly labeled as public. Otherwise, it will be perceived as private. Um, so I would like to see some really good signage that uh, attractive but welcoming to the public. So thank you. Alder Carter. Yes, I also have to echo the fact that I believe that um, this development wanted eight stories from the very beginning and coming back in just a few weeks is um, ridiculous. I also want to agree with Alder's elders as far as the plaza must be signed signage that says people are welcome to use that this area needs to know that this public space is a gathering space also. Thank you. Anyone else? Mr. Hagenau, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm going to echo those last two comments about that, that public plaza being uh, very clearly uh, labeled or, or at least very easy for anybody walking by to tell that that is a public right-of-way and that anybody can use that space. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Alder King. I just want to quickly go on record is that I made a comment the last time around about the four versus eight story issue and I thought the planning staff did a good job of articulating why we had to do what we did vis-a-vis uh, -vis the development group um, and I was comfortable with that explanation as to the timing of the project and getting certain things going knowing pretty much full well as I said and others said that we would have an eight-story project in the end right down to asking the people on the spark project about the blocking of their view on the upper floors of the Capitol so I, I'm pretty sure I don't think this is a perfect scenario for the project, but it was an understandable one given what, what, what happened at Urban Design and what the development team needed to move forward. Anyone else? I just want to add, I think this is a, a, a wonderful addition to East Washington, and what I'm especially impressed with is the addition of over 150,000 square feet of office space. I mean, what we've seen up to now on East Washington has all been residential above commercial uh, to show the confidence in providing this amount of office space is significant and the fact that String is going to uh, be a tenant is is significant and I, you know I think that they're basically in a suburban location now and to be coming downtown is a real plus for for the city as a whole so I, I'm really happy about it. Mr. Rui? Yeah, I want to echo that. Uh, I'm very happy about what's going on. One concern I have, and it's been ongoing, especially when we lost two businesses right down the street uh, with all the people living across the street from it, is the issue of getting across East Wash. And I, I don't think it's the purview of Planning Commission, but we have to take a better look at how we get people across East Wash because we have people living on one side. We have other venues on the other side. How do we get the people back and forth safely and comfortably? And that's going to be a long-term issue that we have to be looking at as we develop these wash. So. Thank you. Anyone else? Then uh, all those in favor say aye. Opposed no. That passes unanimously. Thank you. Uh, <coughs> 
Secretary's report. Thank you. All right, for our next meeting on February 6th, we'll have in front of us the Madison in Motion Long-Range Transportation Plan for your recommendation to the Council for Adoption. Um, we'll also have a plat on the, on the east side, 1302 to 1430 Reiner Road um, for 130 single-family lots and uh, multifamily development as well. Um, on the west side, 302 South Gammon Road, we have our, our first uh, crack at the MXC or Mixed Use Center District. We'll look at a, a master plan for, uh, for that area and also potential approval of the first phase of development on that site. Um, there's also a, a daycare facility at 1413 Wildwood Drive. Um, see, moving on to, to the February 20th meeting, um, similar to the Madison in Motion plan, we'll be seeing the, the Connect Madison Economic Development Strategy on the 20th for your recommendation to the Council for Adoption. Um, the SURF on campus, a proposed demolition and, and new SURF for the, for the UW campus. And then finally, uh, a new addition to the, the Mallard Stadium at, at Warner Park will be before you on the 20th. And just want to remind everyone again, we will have a special meeting on Thursday, February 23rd. Um, would love to have a change of events. And some of you who didn't think you were available, if, if you become available, please, please attend. We'll focus uh, mostly on the comprehensive plan, and we may also have a brief overview of the High Point Raymond Neighborhood Development Plan on, on that evening. Thanks very much. A motion to adjourn. Mr. Rui, seconded by Alder Zellers. All those in favor say aye. We're adjourned. <laughs>